Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, my name's Jared, one of the pastors here. Grateful to be here with you on July 3rd as we do observe and celebrate our nation's independence. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of this. We want to take some time to honor all those who who paid the ultimate price and who served our country, even if they're still living today, we still honor all who served our country and made it possible for us to have our independence. What an awesome holiday that we get to uh, celebrate together. It's not just fireworks and, and hamburgers and hot dogs and all the things, but we do uh, celebrate our independence and the freedom that we have here. I watched Top Gun last night, so I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. I'm ready to run through a wall, uh, Top Gun. It's somewhat clean, too, so I feel like I can say that, maybe, into this microphone. I don't know. Some cursing, but somewhat clean. Uh, anyway, so happy Independence Day to everybody. Grateful that you're here with us. On this holiday weekend, we are staying in our series through Philippians, and you are so lucky that today we get to talk about dying. Uh, so that's awesome to to. Live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am genuinely excited to preach this today as we consider what this day means and what it meant for for so many that have gone before us. We know ultimately that we live for a greater kingdom. We live for a greater nation, that we we, we are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession, who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And there's going to come a day where all will be made new and we will be with him for eternity. And that's only possible because of Jesus. So, as Paul says, we agree for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here If I didn't say that already, I would love to meet you if I don't know you, and uh, I'd love for you now to go to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. We're going to be reading through verse 26 today, but before we open that and before we read it together, I want to remind us of, of the situation that Paul's in just to set the scene, because maybe you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks as we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians, it's important that we understand the context of where we find ourselves today in the Bible. And Paul is in a pretty difficult, dark, uh, not so comfortable, if you could say, place. As he's imprisoned in Rome, he's chained to a guard and they're taking shifts. Each guard is taking shifts on being chained to Paul. He can't go anywhere. He's under house arrest and he's, he's held there and he's waiting on Caesar to decide his fate, to decide if he's going to live and die. And he can't do anything. He's, he, he can't go anywhere. And yet, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And I, I want you to think about this. It, it, in a similar way, if we were to bring this into present day, and just if you'll just go there with me for a second, it's kind of like if Pastor Brian was to go on a mission trip and then not come back. And then he would write a letter to us and say, I'm here, I'm in prison. Uh, and, and I think that if, if he were to write that letter, well, let me put myself in the, his shoes. If I'm the one who's there and I'm writing back to you all and I'm writing back to my family and I'm writing back to everybody I know, I'm probably gonna be writing something like, 
get everybody you know to tweet and, and post and Facebook and all the things and try to get a hashtag going so that people know that I'm here and they can help me get out. Like, talk to your political leaders, talk to your people, send an email to your senator, see if you can figure out how you can drum up enough authority and influence to help me get out of this situation. But conversely, contrastly to that, the Apostle Paul is not asking for them to help him get out which I find very interesting. Not only does he not ask them to help him get out, not only is he not talking about getting out, he's saying it's good that I'm here. It's ultimately for a greater purpose that I'm here. And I'm not gonna go anywhere until it's God's will for me to go. And by the way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This attitude is what I'm gonna focus on today as we dig through this text together because I think it's very important that we challenge ourselves and we consider what our attitude is when it comes to life and when it comes to death. Paul's attitude is unique. Don't worry about me. My suffering has led to the advancement of the gospel. Don't worry about me. My suffering has led to far greater things than I could have ever asked or imagined because God is at work in it all. And as he sits there on trial for his life, waiting, awaiting what could be the end for him, he writes about the meaning of life. You know, death has a way of focusing our minds on what really matters. And that's what's happening with Paul here. He, he's, he's talking about what matters most. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I found this preacher from not too long ago who preached this text right before he died. His name was Greg Bonson. He was an apologist, and, and he, would, he would debate atheists in support of the Christian faith, and he didn't live very long. He only lived to 47, and he preached this text, to live as Christ and to die as gain, the week before, two weeks before he actually died. And in that message, four times I counted, he said, this could be true of me this week. I could be going to my death this week. And praise God that I know to live is Christ, to die is gain. On Tuesday, two days after he preached, he knew he was going into open heart surgery. For the third time, they were, they were uh, replacing his third aortic valve. It's a huge surgery that he's having to have on Tuesday. And he was saying, when I go under that knife, there's a potential chance that I'm not going to come back. And he said this early in his sermon. I wrote it down. Death focuses the mind. It puts aside everything that doesn't matter and helps you think seriously about the meaning of life. And I want to praise God, he said, that as we believers in the Lord Jesus Christ face death, as I might face it in my surgery on Tuesday, we don't face death as the world does, but we face it as a gateway into everlasting joy, everlasting peace, and everlasting life. Two days later, he went under the knife. They had complications with the procedure, and he went comatose after that next day, and he died a week later, a little over a week later, at 47 years old. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, praise God that, that when we as Christians face death, we face it as a gateway into everlasting joy, peace, life, love. This is our hope. But death has a way of, of focusing the mind when we're here on earth. It's, it's, it, it's hard, but it is also used as a good thing when it focuses our mind on what matters most. And Paul, chained to these guards in this really difficult situation where he can't leave, he can't move, he, he's, he's sitting there and he's making the most of this undesirable circumstance by writing about what matters most. He, he's facing death, he's in prison, and he's thinking about what matters most, and he's writing to remind the Philippians and us today that living and dying are all about Christ. Living is about serving Christ. Dying is about being with Christ. This is the point of, of, of this very famous verse, Philippians 1.21. Let's read this together, and then we'll, we'll start to unpack it a little bit. Uh, Philippians 1, starting in verse 19, Paul writes, For I know 
that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. A lot of con- Do you hear his confidence in the Lord? As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It's my eager expectation and hope is what he said. This is challenging to me. Because if I'm in his shoes, most likely I'm writing about an eager expectation and hope to get out of there. But he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will be not, I won't be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what, it's my eager expectation that Christ would be honored whether in my life or, or, or in my death. Imagine the conversations that are happening between him and the guards this whole time. Like almost two years he's in this position in house arrest here in Rome. And imagine these conversations that are happening where the guards are, I, I, it's not in the text, but it, potentially I would think some of these conversations might have gone like, Paul, give it up, man. Give it up. You're not going anywhere. You're not getting out of here alive. We're gonna take your life. We're gonna shut you up. You might as well just go ahead and quit. What's Paul's response to that? That's okay. To die, it's game. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll keep you alive and we'll make you miserable and we'll make you go to the bathroom with me attached to you. You're never even gonna have a moment of, of silence to yourself because I'm, that's probably too much to talk about the bathroom thing, but you're never gonna have a moment to yourself. We're just gonna make your life miserable. And he says, that's okay. To live is Christ. While I'm over here doing my business and you can't leave me because you're attached to me too, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. It's okay. To live is Christ. This attitude of the Apostle Paul, for it's my eager expectation and hope that Christ be glorified, that Christ be magnified, whether in my death or in my life. That's untouchable stuff because it has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with his circumstances. And I can't think of a more challenging message. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Great. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell because I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. The original is is a double superlative, very much better, like a lot better. So so that's my desire. Look at it in in verse 23, I'm hard pressed between two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that's far better, but He says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Like, I want, I I long, I desire to be with Christ because I know how much better it is. But it's more necessary for me to be here in the flesh on your account. No matter how difficult it is, no no matter how hard it gets, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how unpleasurable, It's more necessary on your account. Unbelievable attitude from the Apostle Paul. Keep going, verse 25. Convinced of this, convinced, confident, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The attitude of the Apostle Paul. He's teaching us right here in this text that the difference between a rock and a hard place and a win-win is the way you perceive it. It's your attitude. It's like Winnie the Pooh, anybody, Eeyore, versus the Apostle Paul. Rock in a hard place. Man, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself, man. 
this is horrible. I don't have a reason to live anymore. Is that how he, I don't know, I can't remember. Rock in a hard place. I don't have a chance. I mean, I, I can't get out. I can't do my ministry. I can't, I can't go see my people. They're not gonna receive these difficult messages if I'm not giving it to them face to face. What if I'm not able to hug them again? What happens if, rock in a hard place. Versus to live as Christ, to die as gain. No matter what happens to my body, no matter what happens in this life, no matter how difficult it gets, I'm gonna spend every waking moment in pursuit of making Jesus more famous, to live as Christ. Every, everything about my life will be Christ. And when that's over, I will gain more than I can ever imagine because death will just be a gateway into everlasting life where I will receive this inheritance that's been promised. It's his attitude for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. The original language doesn't include the linking verbs there. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The is is not there because he's writing it with, with emphasis. He wants it to be read emphatically. In the original language, they would have read it a lot more to the beat of a drum almost, like memorably. I love this. To live Christ, to die, gain. To live Christ, to die, gain. To live Christ, to die, gain. It's, it's, like, it's like Paul has to remember. He has to remind himself, kind of like the, uh, like the psalmist. Yeah, David wrote this one in, in Psalm 41. No, in Psalm 42. And we don't know who wrote this one. So to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. It's in a, I'm in a rough spot. While, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? It, it's it's kind of like the psalmist here, similar to a situation that Paul's having. They, they're probably ridiculing him. Him saying, where is your God now? You're still chained up. You can't go anywhere. Well, these things I remember, the psalmist said, as I pour out my soul, how I would go from the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My soul, my salvation, and my God. You see, we have to remind ourselves, just like the psalmist, just like Paul, and he's giving us something to remember, to live Christ, to die, gain. This is the purpose of life. He wrote in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't live, any, I don't live anymore. It, I, myself has been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And, and the life I now live in the flesh, because I am still here, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Be reminded of this truth. Be reminded of the gospel that Jesus paid the ultimate price for your sin and mine, that we can have forgiveness when we trust in his name, just like we just saw in the pool over there. Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins? This is the gospel. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Also, Paul, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. And so if you followed him into the grave and you, you by faith received his righteousness imputed upon you because of his sacrifice on the cross and you entered that grave with him and your flesh has been crucified, you will be raised. You have been raised with him. And if 
Paul says in Colossians 3, you have been raised with him. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Don't, get, don't be worried about all this. Don't, don't worry about where you're going to find what you need down here. Don't worry about all the little things that get distracting. Set your minds on things above, he says. Not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So now, as you're bound by this limited flesh, Understand that the hope in you is Christ. And the Holy Spirit resides in you if you are a Christian. So you are experiencing a foretaste of what's to come. But now we see through a mirror dimly what then we will see face to face. And we've got we to understand that our self has been crucified. And our life is Christ. So that when we walk through that gateway of death, we will find gain. We will find Profit. There, there is no greater profit, Paul is saying. There's no greater profit than what I will experience when I die. For me to live is Christ. Let's go a little deeper into that phrase for a second. For me to live, Christ. He's talking about the end goal, the purpose. It's almost like Paul is giving us his purpose statement, his life purpose. For me to live, Christ. This is why I live. This is what my life is about. This is it, Christ. And so it begs the question from all of us, what, what is your purpose statement? What is the goal of life? What have we made our goal? Because the truth is, whether you've intentionally done that or, or not, you are pursuing a goal. You are pursuing an end. Your life is being lived for something. So we need to take that captive and understand that whether we're intentional or not, we're going somewhere. And we also need to understand that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that is extremely exclusive for a reason. That there is no other way. So if we're unintentionally going in all sorts of other directions and our purpose is about other things, then we're going away from the only way. That's what he's talking about. For me to live Christ. And subsequently, because of that, to die, gain. What's your purpose? For fun, I looked up a few well-known brands to look at what their purpose is and what they live for. Google, anybody heard of Google? To organize the world's information and make it universally accept accessible and useful. Big goal. Microsoft, hadn't used them in a long time. <laughs> to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. PayPal, haven't used that since eBay. To build the web's most convenient, secure, cost-effective, the web's, the whole worldwide web's most convenient, most secure, most cost-effective payment solution, PayPal. So how about Sony? To be a company that inspires and fulfills your curiosity. <laughs> Kill the cat. Home Depot. Love Home Depot. Man, anybody? Yeah, Home Depot has done a lot for me. Our goal is to provide the highest level of service, the broadest selection of products, and the most competitive prices. Boom! That's what we're out to do. That's what we live for. Amazon. To take over the world. Just kidding. That's not what it, that's not it. <laughs> This is what they say. To be Earth's. And they capitalized Earth, by the way. I thought that was funny. To be Earth's most customer-centric company, where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. And we endeavor to offer our customers the lowest possible prices. And we got these purposes, and we just craft it, and we think that we're going to do the most. We're going to do the most, man. We're going to do the best. <laughs> 
And I'm not telling you to stop working hard. I'm not, that's not what Paul's talking about. I'm not saying it's bad to have a purpose like that. I'm not saying it's bad to want to be the best. I'm saying that if we're living for things here, we will die for things here as well. And we will die and we will have loss rather than gain. Because to live is Christ and subsequently to die is gain. Because if you pursue anything apart from Christ here, it will be lost. And a life lived for Christ is the only way. A life given to Christ, a life crucified with Christ is the only way. What's your purpose statement? Paul gave us his. For me, to live Christ. But think of what we make the goal of life. Let me just offer a few examples that I think we, this isn't a, time to share or to vote or to put your hand up, so we'll keep it all rhetorical, but, but I think these might be some things that we put our life to. For, to me, to live is success in business. Or, for to me, to live is to make enough money to eventually retire comfortably. Or, for me, to live is to learn all I can and, and teach all I can. It's not a bad thing. For me to live is, is to lead a healthy small group. It's a great thing. For me to live is to be loved. For me to live is to be famous. For me to live is to have wealth. For me to live is to have four houses. For me to live is to have seven vacations a month. For me to live... For me to live is, what is it? For me to live, some of these are good things. Some of these are bad things, but some of these are good things. But I want to present today to us all, including myself, like if I could get down there and talk to you, I would. I want to present to us all that even when your life is lived for good things, if it's not for Christ, it will be lost. And we can get so caught up, even in this Christian thing that becomes more like a game than a walk, that we think that we're doing the right things, but Christ is nowhere to be found, and we're just elevating what we want to do or who we are so that other people think that we're doing good. And Paul says, for me, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, the, the brand Winchester, right? The Winchester, the guns, the, the rifles. Uh, Oliver Winchester invented, his family invented the first repeating rifle. It was in the height of the Civil War. So he made a lot of money because they needed that advanced technology back then in order to, to fight. And so he, he made a massive fortune. He married a girl named Sarah. They had a daughter named, didn't write that down. Yeah, did Annie. And the baby, Annie, died at two weeks old. And from that point, it started going downhill, especially for Sarah. And the, the Winchester family's building this prominent brand and business. They're having great success and they have this fortune. And then Oliver gets tuberculosis a couple years later and he dies as well. So now Sarah is left without her baby Annie and without her husband Oliver. And she has this massive fortune and she's grieving and she's hurting and, and the pain is overwhelming and, and unimaginable and she can't shake it. She can't get out of her bed. She's struggling for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. So one of her friends comes to her and says, hey, why don't you go see this uh, medium or uh, seer or mystic? I'm trying to use a word that makes more sense, but go see this person that can exercise these demons that you got going on. They'll be able to tell you what's really wrong. Just for the record, bad idea. Okay, just to be clear, that's a bad idea. All right. So she goes to see him her actually. And this medium begins to tell her some crazy things. I'll, I'll read you what she told her uh, according to uh, whatever I read. I can't remember where it was, but this is true. During 
this session with the medium. The medium said to her, your husband is here. And he says there is a curse on your family which took his life and that of your child. It is a curse that has resulted from the terrible weapon created by the Winchester family. Thousands of people have died because of it and their spirits are now seeking vengeance. That's why you're being tormented. So she told Sarah to move west or else she would soon die. Sell where you are in New Haven, Connecticut and move out west. And, and, and this is what she said. You must build a home for yourself and for the spirits who have fallen because of this terrible weapon. And you can never stop building this house. If you continue building, you will live. But if you stop, you will die. Okay. Wow. Sarah believed it. Sarah started going west. She ended up in San Jose, California. She found 162 acres and a 17-room house on, seven, on, on 162 acres that she had. She's like, well, ample room here to build on. So she immediately gets in and she throws out the plans because it was an unfinished house, throws out the plans, and she starts building herself. She hires crews. And for 36 years, day and night, they're building on this house. They're building more rooms and, and, and more staircases and more closets and, and more. Out. They had staircases going literally nowhere, like they just ended. They had rooms where doors opened to a wall. She's just looking for ways to build. And then eventually she starts building it almost like a maze because she's thinking in her mind, I can, I can make the spirits that are coming after me, get lost in the maze that I'm building. And this is her pursuit. This is what she's giving her life to. Remodeling and renovating and building and remodeling and renovating. And, and this, con this confusing mess of a mansion until she finally spends all that she owned on this house in hopes that she could survive apart from all that was tormenting her. And on the night of September 4th, 1922, she died in her sleep at age 83, having spent everything she had on a completely vain pursuit. And you may say, that's a really outlandish really extreme, I'm not even sure if I believe it, story that you just told us about vain pursuits. It has nothing to do with me in my life. Of course, I'm not going to believe some seer that tells me I have to do this with all of my wealth, but I just want to present for a second that there are so many parallels if we're not careful with how we live our lives in pursuit of things that don't matter. And we spend our days building and building and building in the name of good things, but not in the name of Jesus. And we end up with this maze around us with staircases leading to nowhere. And then on our last day when we depart, all we have to show for it is a house that's eventually gonna rot. And this is a warning today. This is a warning about vain pursuits. This is a warning about what you stake your life on. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain? Surely not, right? Surely not to die. To die is loss. I mean, to die is the end. Death is the end. Death is horrible. We even say, I'm sorry for your loss. Paul, what are you talking about? To die is gain. Later on in this letter in Philippians 3, 8, I don't know whose toes I'm stepping on that's going to be preaching that, probably my own in several weeks. Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything, everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See the parallel. Gain Christ. To be with him is 
far very much better. Remember, to gain Christ, I've counted everything as lost, and I've willingly given it all up. That's a big difference than building a mansion that keeps on going. To die is gain. Not the type of gain that we spend our day pursuing, but, but a higher and better gain. For He writes somewhere else, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond anything we can imagine, incomprehensible. The Apostle Peter writes about this gain as well in his first letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 3. According to his great mercy. 1 Peter 1, 3. I can see it on the back. They can't see it behind me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, look at this, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what Paul's talking about. An inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, that's unfading, that's being guarded and kept. You hear the language. This is the gain that's coming for those who are in Christ, for those whose lives are Christ. This is the greatest prophet. This is when death is but a doorway. And Paul says in verse 23, Philippians 1, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far Better, far better. Far better. The reason death is gain is that it means being with Christ, which is far better. Who can understand this except for the Christian? Like we can't expect the world to understand why this is far better, very much better. Who desires to be with Christ other than the Christian? Of course the world doesn't understand this. It's, it's like your kids when they were younger and you would buy them a present and you spent all this time on the gift, but all they want to play with is the box. Just boxes for weeks in the living room. It's forts. Forts of boxes. I spent all this money on the gift, and you want the box. This is kind of similar to what we do as Christians, and, and we don't understand. And then the world, when we look at the world, we're like, do you not understand the gift that you have? And they're like, I just want to play with the box. I just want to play with the box. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that changed a lot of the way I think about this, the weight of glory, for those of you who like to read short books, the weight of glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I came up in the church thinking that I'm supposed to like suppress my desires. Like, oh, that's bad can't want anything. Everything I want is bad. And while that's predominantly true, the Bible says that he gives you the desires of your heart. So you don't miss the fact that he is dealing with our desires. He doesn't want you to remove what you feel and what you desire in your inmost part. That's not the, he doesn't want to make you into a robot. He starts with your desire. And the New Testament, C.S. Lewis argues, and I would agree, is predominantly teaching that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. He goes on. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Look at this. Real big slap in the face. Like an ignorant 
child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily. We're playing with the box. And the gift is worth unimaginable. Like it's not measurable, that gift in Christ. It's not measurable. And we're playing with this stuff. We're making mud pies in the slum when we've been offered a holiday at the sea. We can't even imagine how much better that is because we're far too easily pleased. Paul says it's far better to be with Christ. Jonathan Edwards says this, to many Christians, too many Christians live like distracted travelers who stay at a hotel on their way to a destination but never move on to the place they are heading. Distracted travelers never making it to the ultimate destination, which is far greater. We have such an attachment to our comfortable, pleasurable lives that we live as if heaven doesn't exist at all. Couldn't you have a sermon about freedom on Independence Day, Jared? (laughs) Thomas Watson, a Puritan, great Puritan, wrote this. The world is but a great inn, I-N-N, like motel, you know, the Holiday Inn, you know, the Holiday Inn Express last night or whatever that said. Trust him because he stayed at a holiday. Anyway, the world is but a great inn where we are to stay a night or two and then be gone. What madness is it to set our heart upon our inn as to forget our home? Why are we in the box when our home is in the gift? You see that? Paul's talking about this attachment to the world. He's, he's, he's saying you just have nothing to do with that because to live is Christ. If you're attached to the world, it's a very dangerous place to be because you will quickly forget that this is not your home and then death will be the final enemy because it will not be a gateway to gain because you will not have Christ. What makes heaven our home is ultimately being with Christ. Of course, heaven is of no value to the world because they see no value in being with Christ. Christ, and all week I've been challenged by this thought, like, do I desire to be with Christ? Do I? The Apostle Paul is talking about an intense longing, a desire to be with Christ above all else. Like, do I, does Jared have this desire? Because a desire to be with him is a first fruit of the regenerate heart. It is. We will, and I'm trying to measure your desire because I know it's season. Like we, we struggle. I get it. We struggle. We repent. We struggle. We repent. We struggle. I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm not saying you got to be Paul. You're not going to be. I'm not going to be. So don't get into the business of measuring desire. I just want to back up for a second and say that a lot. But a desire will be birthed in the regenerate heart. And that desire will rest foundationally in being with Christ. And that desire will grow as you are with him. So if you have a desire, but it's a hint of a flame, it's because you haven't developed this relationship. And it's not by works, but it is by obedience. It is by intimacy through prayer, through fasting, through studying, through devotion, through obeying his voice when he calls. This desire will grow. Do I long to be with Christ like Paul did? Because if I don't want to be with him here, what makes me think that I will want to be with him there? To be with Christ is far better. All right, let me try to go a little further into convincing mode for a second. Why why is that far better? I wrote down three very important things 
It's not exhaustive, but these are three very important things about why it's far better to be with Christ, why it will be far better, and why death is a doorway to gain. Because when we are with Christ, ultimately and completely, number one, we will have full vision, vision. We will see him as he is. Our eyes will be set and fixed and opened wide to see the risen Redeemer. And we will see him not as we do now when we walk by faith and not by sight, but then we will see him with our sight and it will be open for us and we will see him fully and completely. And when God met with Moses at the burning bush and he said, man cannot look on me and live, that will be ultimately different when we are with him glorified and we can see. We will have vision. Number two, we will have full communion. Communion with him. We will walk with him and he will walk with us. We will talk with him and he will talk with us. Just like in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We will feel his embrace. We will, we will hear him tell us how much he loves us. And we will not question it because it will be the deepest communion we will have ever experienced. We will never, ever, ever again feel like we are abandoned or rejected or unloved because we will have this communion fully. Number three, we will have the, the full fruition. Everything will come to full fruition. All will be complete. We will have fullness of satisfaction, fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of hope, which is very different than down here because we're settling for scraps. A little bit of satisfaction. A little bit, I can't get enough. We're just a little bit of this. Like, we're, we're, just, we're just under the vine, hoping for a drop from the grape down here, but there we will be amidst the whole vineyard. The whole thing is just gonna pour out like a river. Fruition. And down here, we toil with the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the ungratified desires, the lack of satisfaction, but there, our lust will be swallowed up and eliminated, and our desires will be quenched by the unquenchable love of Jesus in full fruition. There will be nothing we can want because we will have everything we could ever need. Spurgeon said this of heaven. I'm arguing with myself of whether or not to read it because it starts with a thy, and usually we check out when that happens. But he said this. I think it's awesome. Thy hands that now toil shall know no harder labor than harp strings can afford. Death is just a doorway. And in a moment... We will step into full vision, full communion, full fruition with Christ in the center. Revelation 21, 3, the apostle John writes, and he's having this vision, and he's, he's saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And verse 4, don't miss this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All will be made new. All will be made new. We will have this gift in its fullness. So what should our attitude be? Paul gives us, I think, clearly what our attitude should be if we're to take it from him. Verse 25 of Philippians chapter 1. Convinced of this, Paul says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Listen to his language. It's all about them. It's all about others because it first was birthed out of the one who gave himself for us 
It's all, to live is Christ. And so while I'm here, I'm all about others in pursuit of his ultimate glory. So we can boil that down to say our attitude should be patient service. Patient service. Not looking at our watch, waiting for the time to go. Not thinking about the finish line because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is no finish line. That finish line is a gateway, a doorway. It's just the beginning. So we're not like the farmer who hired a bunch of farmhands who were sitting in the field looking at their watch and watching where the sun went down to try to measure when it's time to go. Worried about when it's gonna be closing time today and getting our stuff ready for that moment rather than working the whole way through. That's not our attitude because we know we have no finish line. We have a doorway. I remember, I'll never forget, my old coach he used to bark at me. If you've ever had a coach, you know what that means. He used to say, run through the tape. Run through the tape, Jared. Run through the tape. Run through the tape. Run through the tape. It took me like a long time to figure out what in the world he was talking about. Run through the tape. The, the tape for runners, and I was not one. This is different, but for the runners, they got a tape, and they're going to the finish line, and you've seen them when they're running, and the tape's there, and they see the finish line, and sometimes they pull up like, whew, They kind of rest right before they cross it. Don't do that. He said, run through the tape. Press on to the upward call of Jesus Christ. Run through the tape. Run head down. Run through, head down. Don't be looking up at all the, don't, don't be acting like there's a shot clock on you as if there's a finish line. It's a gateway. It's a doorway when it's over. So just run through the tape. Keep your head down. Focus on what's right in front of you. And do the best you can with the time you have. Because Paul said this in verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that's far better. But, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. To remain in the flesh is more necessary necessary on your account. More necessary. More necessary than what was far better? Than what is far better? What is that? Do we have this attitude? Consider this. God has placed you where you are for a reason. There's a reason, there's multiple reasons. He didn't save you and take you in an instant. And those reasons are the more necessary. It's more necessary on your account, Paul said. I desire to go. Yeah, I would have loved to be saved when I was 12 years old, saved in my bedroom, reading my Bible, and just gone. Through the gateway. But that's not the plan. That wasn't the plan for me because it was more necessary for me 21 years later to be standing right here and talking about this. I don't understand, but he does. So I'm gonna keep my head down, I'm gonna run through the tape. More necessary. Who's gonna be at Pelican Pete's later when you go out on the boat? Who's your waitress gonna be at Buffalo's? It's, it's more necessary. This is the attitude we gotta have because it's more, I'm here for a reason. I've been given what I've been given for a reason. I've been gifted the way I've been gifted. I've been placed in this cubicle beside that Susie in order for some, I don't know, but it's more necessary. So Paul's in the prison, he's chained up and he's saying it's more necessary that this life really hard for me right now on account of you. So I'm gonna write this letter and I'm gonna send it to you and I'm gonna pray and hope that it gets to you. And I'm gonna run through the tape. I'm gonna keep my mind and, and my heart focused because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I'm gonna do, and it's more necessary. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know how difficult your cubicle experience is at the workplace, but I do know that you're there for a reason and it's more necessary. So maybe a, a peek around the corner one day to talk to Miss Susie about what's going on might be a good start because you're there for a reason and it's more 
Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, legend, wrote a lot of books that are really hard to read. So there you go. But the cost of discipleship is one of them. Love for you to read that. If you're like me, it'll take you four years. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was in Nazi Germany when Hitler was leading in World War II. He was a part of uprisings and opposition, and he was even a part of some groups that, were, that, that attempted to assassinate Hitler, and so he was thrown in jail for that. So he's in these concentration camps with the Jews. And as he's there, much like Paul, he's writing, and he's preaching, and he's sharing his faith, and he's running through the tape because it's more necessary. Do you know how easy it would have been for him just to keep walking with the crowd and not making a big deal about what was going on around him? He would not have ever been in trouble. He could have just gone through life safely. I want to read something that a fellow prisoner wrote the day that he was taken to be killed. Sunday, April 8th, 1945, this prisoner wrote, Pastor Bonhoeffer held a little service which reached the hearts of all. He had hardly finished his prayer when the door opened and two evil-looking soldiers came in and barked, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. The words meant only one thing, the scaffold, where he would die. And as he bid his fellow prisoners goodbye, he said, for me, this is only the beginning of a new life, eternal life. For me, this is only the beginning. This is just the gateway, the doorway, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. So it's more necessary on your account for me to be here right now. But now that God is taking me to the scaffold, I will rejoice that I can walk through this gateway. This is significant. This is difficult for us to understand because there's two ultimate attitudes toward life and death today. This is where we're gonna close, everybody, I promise. There's two ultimate attitudes. To live as Christ and to die as gain, like Paul. Or to live as self and to die is loss. And you can fill in that blank with whatever you want to fill in, and it can be a good thing. But at the end of the day, if it's not Christ, it's somehow self. And if it's self, at the end it will be lost. Because Paul writes, for I have been crucified. It's no longer I who live. We put this to death as we follow him. For to live is Christ. And then to die is gain. Because of Jesus, his perfect life, his, his substitutionary death on your behalf, and his divine resurrection, you can be alive today in him. By grace, through faith. Just call upon the name of the Lord today and you will be saved when you put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. For no one lives to himself, Romans 14, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel 
So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.